So just to give you a little introduction to myself, my name is Tara Tarango. I'm at the Bay Daniel Institute for Education in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And it's a really cool place. It's a biomedical research facility. So there are scientists from all over the world studying really important stuff. <laughs> but what's cool about it is they always had foresight to think about there also needs to be sort of a K-12 outreach part of that as well. So we're doing this high world-class science, but we're also preparing the next generation of critical thinkers and problem solvers to sort of pick up that mantle and keep it going. So I love the vantage point of being able to see what it looks like to be an actual scientist, um, but also then to be able to translate those skills, those creative and critical thinking skills, those authentic learning skills, into K-12 classrooms. And we do that through, um, I really love that I get to work with students directly and with teachers directly. So we have student programs where, after school programs, we have field trips that come in, we have summer camps, um, but then we also do teacher professional development, create lots of teacher resources that you'll see. For, um, for teachers, so in that way, I love to be, my favorite role is that of a teacher fairy godmother. And you think of how, how the job is that you envisioned it would be when you thought about becoming a teacher, and then once you get in the classroom, it's just really hard to be that teacher that you want to be. There's just not enough time. And so I like to try to be that fairy godmother, to come in and do the things that you don't have time for, because the job is too important to not do it the way we all want to actually do it. So I'll give you some examples of the sorts of things that I can do to help you out along the way, and don't you know, hesitate to hit me up in any way for that. So let's find out a little bit who's in the room. We'll have a couple times where we talk to our neighbors and process some information. So find out who your neighbors are. Let's take about a minute to share your name, what's your grade um, level or role, and why is this topic important to you, or what do you want to get out of? Why PBL? Why did you choose this session? So talk to your neighbors. I'll give you about a minute. I did in fifth grade and like how do you get to that level? 
That's absolutely right. How do you create something that's meaningful, memorable, and fun? That's, that's the end goal. Excellent. So I, I like to just get you thinking about what you wanted out of this one so I can hear that we're on the same page. I'm going to give you what you're looking for. Um, but also, it, it's kind of affirming to know, you know, I, I think that probably 10 years ago if I was doing this session, I'd have to convince teachers that this is the way you want to go. And that's not really the case now. Most educators want to teach this way. They want to create these authentic learning experiences. The question is, where do I find time and how do I do it? Um, so it's nice to just sort of affirm that that's what we're thinking about. Um, so I'll share a little bit about why I came into project-based learning, why it's something that I'm really passionate about. And it came down to these three statements. I wanted to teach content that actually mattered to my students. So whether I was teaching, you know, one class teaching Texas history, or whether I was teaching earth science, I might have been passionate about that topic for myself, um, but that's only goes so far. I wanted it to actually mean something to my students. And sometimes that's not easy, right? Um, I just want to teach skills that matter. So thinking about, I always sort of laugh because we call them 21st century skills when we're like 22 years into the, almost 23 years into the 21st century. Um, but whether you call them 21st century skills, I'd like to think about things that were important 100 years ago and are still important now are probably going to be important 100 years from now. So critical thinking, creativity, collaboration, communication, those sorts of things, right? Um, so I wanted to make sure I had an opportunity to teach those things because I don't know what professions are going to be in the future. I don't know how to prepare them for a lot that I can't, you know, foresee. But I do know those are going to be important. So I wanted to make sure I'm teaching skills that mattered. And then selfishly, I hope I'm not the only one in the room here, but that wanted to be that teacher that really mattered to them. That teacher that they remember and come back to, you know, decades later saying that they remembered something from their class. And to be that when they go home and talk to their parents about, right? In a good way, not in that way. <laughs> so I wanted to be that teacher. And I know that I can't be that for every single student, but every single student deserves some teacher that is that for them. So creating those types of projects or project-based learning units, I found really helped me do all three of these things. Helped me to have a context that gave my content some relevance, that gave me opportunity to teach those skills, and gave me the opportunity to do something that was memorable, meaningful, and fun so that they could remember me. So here's what we'll talk about today. We'll go a little bit um, into what is project-based learning. What is it anyway? What it is, what it isn't. I'll share with you a couple examples, lesson by lesson, of two projects um, so you can see how those work and you can take them back and, um, and you know, adjust them for your own benefit. And then kind of a formula for how to make your own PBL experiences. Hopefully take some of the mystery out of that and kind of give you a protocol to, to create these for yourself. As I mentioned, um, so all the project overviews for all these projects are available for free, so there's a description of each lesson. But if you want the full lesson plans and the real-world context and all the supplies, those do have a cost, but I will give you one free if you fill out the form. I'll give you a code to do that. All right, so what is PBL anyway? So I like to take the jargon out of it. If you were my last session, don't cheat, okay? You'll know what these are. Um, but let's think about what are the characteristics of an authentic learning experience. Let's just try to get on the same page about what success looks like. What are we trying to build? So take PBL out of it, whether it's place-based or project-based or, product or problem-based, you know, and think about the characteristics of an authentic learning experience. So talk to your neighbor. You already know them now. They're your best friend. Um, they give you about a minute, a minute and a half to discuss this thing. Come up with sort of a list of what do you think those characteristics are of an authentic learning experience. All right? I'll give you a few minutes to chat, and we'll share. <laughs> Some of the characteristics. Yeah. 
Well, Stephen Covey would say start with the end in mind, so having an authentic assessment uh, naturally lends it to having a practical learning experience. I teach shop, shop class and then band. Okay. So we have a concert that's an authentic assessment that makes the learning experience very authentic because we have a real-world application at the end of that concert cycle. Gotcha. Okay, I love that. Start with the end of mind. Know what are they going to do that's going to be authentic assessment of what they learn and have that from the very beginning. What else? Okay, yeah. I'm working with high school kids, but I think one of the other characteristics of an authentic learning experience is when they can take it over themselves. And you can take a step back, and they're the ones who are thinking, planning, moving, building, etc. Absolutely. So there's a level of student ownership where they're able to drive the learning process themselves. Take a little of that weight off of yourself. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. An authentic audience, like for the band guy, you know, they have their audience there that they're performing for. Yeah. An authentic audience. We'll talk a little bit more about that one. Yeah. What else? Yeah. It has to be relevant. Relevant. It has to mean something. One of the whole points to make it meaningful has to be relevant to them. Absolutely. Anything else you want to share? So we get a pretty consistent set of answers, and I, I think it's good to um, sort of codify that for yourself. I'm going to share the, what I kind of have listed as seven characteristics of authentic learning. Use those. Use the one you talked about here. Take some from each list. You know, It doesn't really matter, but I do think especially either for yourself if you're trying to do this to know what success looks like, um, or if you're trying to do this with other teachers, especially if you are secondary and you want to sort of do this with other content area teachers, it's good to have an alignment around what we're trying to accomplish. What does this experience need to look like? So I'll share with you these seven characteristics, and you can um, take those, like I said, and morph them as you would like. So the first is this idea of sustained inquiry. This one didn't necessarily come up, but I think about the scientists that I'm working alongside. And they are studying problems that don't get resolved in one class period, right? Um, they're often studying problems for years, decades even, sometimes lifetimes. And so although we don't have you know, unlimited time in the classroom, what are we doing to prepare our students for that level of sort of sustained academic rigor and, and perseverance? So thinking about how you can build some sustained inquiry into an experience is one characteristic, I'd say. This one came up, authentic audience. Um, I think about it in terms of, you know, their level of engagement. So if they are presenting to me as the teacher, um, you know, there's a level of engagement. Hopefully I have a good rapport with my students, but it doesn't matter how good that is. At some point, they really don't care if they look foolish or make a mistake in front of me. But the minute I bring in someone from the outside world, especially if it's someone who is authentic to that topic, maybe an expert in that topic, or maybe someone who was impacted by that topic, um, then they care a little bit more about whether they look foolish or whether they make a mistake. So they're willing to invest a little bit more in it. So having an authentic audience of some sort is really important. Um, this is probably one I'm most guilty of leaving out, um, but this idea of iterative thinking. You know, so often we're in a rush to teach our content and move on. And we all know, though, that really the learning happens when we're reflecting, when we're having a chance to get some feedback, when we're having a chance to improve something, um, apply that feedback. That's that iterative thinking, that design thinking process <coughs> is where most learning really happens. So making sure we build in time for that I think is another key um, characteristic of an authentic learning experience. We talked about student ownership and driving a little bit, some level of student choice, and this can be really varied. It can be a really kind of narrow set of choices or it can be completely wide open, depending on your experience and comfort level. And all that really leads to, obviously, it's an authentic learning experience. It has to be engaging for the students. I think cross-curricular is another key part of this. Um, even if you are a secondary teacher and you teach one content area, if you can bring in some of the other secondary teachers to go do something alongside of you or just branch it out even within what you do, it just makes it that much more authentic. You have a real um, context from which you, know, you can pull from, from all these different content areas. It makes the learning go deeper for all of them. Real-world application, that came up as well, the idea that you're taking what the students are doing and applying it outside the classroom walls somehow. I like to actually take it one step further and say they're using what they've done to make the world a better place somehow. That's how you get that relevance, that they actually are doing something that is meaningful. And then lastly, I don't know why my slides are all cut off like that, so you have to use a little critical thinking here to figure out what these words are. Um, but collaboration, and I go back to my scientists, and one of the principal investigators told me there will never be another major scientific discovery by one single scientist. What they're studying are so nuanced, so specific, that they rely on another scientist doing that level of detail and another topic to be able to put that together, 
and make meaning together. So I again sort of challenge ourselves to think what are we doing in our classrooms to give our students that experience in making meaning together. So it's not like this is the definitive one and only list, um, but it is a list um, to see, think about what the characters, those characteristics are of an authentic learning experience. Again, so you know what you're striving for. But I also like to say, it's not like you have to be doing all these 24-7 all the time, but that's super overwhelming. It's just a way to think about what's the end in mind? What are we trying to capture? What are we trying to make happen here with our learning experience? All right, so given that, this was talked about, the idea of projects versus project-based learning. I'm going to set this down for a minute. And um, I'm going to help me. Probably in groups of like three people per so what you're going to do, here's a little game, game is loose, loosely applied there, um, is you're going to get a set of cards and there are six different scenarios, all right, and I want you to try to decide if your scenario is a project or a project-based learning unit. So this came up earlier and it's one of the things I get most often when I do the session is afterwards teachers saying, oh, I thought I was doing project-based learning, but I think I maybe was really just doing a project. And I don't mean to say that projects are bad, GBL is good, we'll talk about that. But I think take a minute to do this exercise and try to sort these out. It won't take you too terribly long. Into project-based learning and projects. So she's coming around with cards. So working groups of three to five. And I'll give you a couple minutes to try to sort these out. <laughs> Choosing, you know, uh, Mars or Earth, but they're actually raising money. 
And I'll give you a hint, it doesn't matter how much money they raise, if they're donating it to, you know, an actual cause, they feel like they have just saved the world or, or gone to Mars, either one, right? Um, and I think especially, I like to put this one out because I think this is something that we do a lot as teachers, and I don't mean to like shame anyone who's doing it. Students learn about all the planets and create a travel poster advertising the planet of their choice. Yeah, I think, you know, you might think it's got advertising, that's kind of a real world skill, skill, um, so it's got some things going for it, but if you contrast it with this one where they're actually raising some money and contributing to this cause, I think you can kind of see that difference. We'll do one more set. Students learn about energy conservation and hold a poster session for parents to share what they've learned. Okay. All right, most of are saying project, but I'd also submit it's not that different than what we talked about about here, right? Uh, you know, you do have some of those elements, but I think when you contrast it with this one, Students conduct an energy audit of their school and petition the school board to make changes based on their learning. Now all of a sudden this looks like a project, in, in contrast. So what I hope you actually take away that it's not necessarily a good-bad or a project project assigned unit, but it's more of a continuum. Anything in this column, you can add a few more of those characteristics that we just talked about and give it a little bit more of a project-based learning unit feel. So think about it again, not that this is bad and this is good. Um, there's a place, like I said, for projects. But if what you're trying to do is project-based learning unit, start from wherever you are and then add some those characteristics in. So if you want you know, some more kind of nuance around this, trying to decide whether it is a project or project-based learning unit, I think the biggest differentiator, the easiest way to spot a project is when is it happening. So the first one here, it's often considered an add-on to the traditional instruction at the end of a unit. That's usually this culminating project is usually a project where, in contrast with project that's on a unit, the project is the vehicle with which you teach the instruction. So you're doing the project the entire time and the instruction is woven into that as opposed to being something that is just done at the end. So hopefully this list is something that maybe is helpful. And I, you know, sometimes I get folks afterwards like, I don't know, is this a project-based learning unit? And the point is that that doesn't really matter. I don't want you to get too hung up on the label of am I doing it right. The point is just to um, not think that you're doing project-based learning when you're not actually integrating the learning into that project. Okay? So here is an example of what that looks like. I'm going to show you a two-minute video. This is the same video that you saw, and then that's the last piece that's overlapping. Um, um, so I'll have to give you a chance to look at that, and then we'll talk about what do you see. Do you notice any of those characteristics that we just talked about in this video. So take a look at it in action. So in Take a Stand, my kids were able to pick a topic, learn how to debate respectfully with each other, and then they were able to build a podcast and share that issue with other parents and people around the world.
song, but I can't not resolve the song. So. <laughs> all right, so maybe take a minute to share. We don't have to do it in groups. You can just share out. We all know each other now. What did you notice um, about this project or about the video? What stood out to you? Yeah. There was some revision process. They said, I didn't like my first one. It stunk. I'm glad I got to revise it. Yes. And my favorite thing about that is how often, I hope I'm not the only one, but I'm like, like sometimes begging my kids to revise something. But in this case, she was doing it of her own accord. And I think it's directly related to the fact that it's going out on the web. And they think everybody's going to look at it. And they're going to go viral. So they want it to be done. Yeah. What else did you notice? That they understood about debate and being kind, like being able to give your point out with with respect. Yes, this idea of nice fighting. Yeah, I, I wish a lot of adults could could take that lesson right now too. Yeah. <laughs> they really genuinely enjoyed it. Yeah, you could see there was some genuine joy, and who doesn't want that in your classroom? Yeah. They took ownership. Yeah, definitely ownership because it was theirs. It wasn't their teacher's idea. Right. They were definitely driving. What points are they going to make in this podcast? How are they communicating? It was a current event. Yeah. For those of us who lived in Michigan during that time, that was a huge thing. Right. Yeah, this was in 2019, so that's when we got seeing masks. Right before the pandemic, right when Triple E was a big thing. Um, that's when we thought that was the worst that could happen, right? <laughs> what else? Yeah, I think it goes off of that, like, it makes them a stakeholder in real life, the shoes, like, their voice matters and things that are, like, that matter to adults, too, and adults don't hear sometimes, and it's not just, like, she's dressed so it's really dress code, like, you know? Yeah, and I think that's kind of the beauty of this project, is, in this case, um, the, the teacher chose to make it about a particular relevant topic, and they all were kind of taking a stand on whether they should or shouldn't spray for Triple E, but sometimes this project is gives the students wide choice. They can choose what they want to take a stand about. And so maybe they care about that. Maybe they do care about uniforms or not, or lunches. And you can decide how controversial you want to let them go um, with these sorts of topics, but they learn this idea of debating respectfully no matter what, and that their voice counts. Any other thoughts? Yeah? It gives the skills and the content. So the skills is the civil discourse and the, you know, how to debate and how to research and how to work with a partner. And so there's all these skills, but then you can actually apply any of those skills to any curriculum, any subject. So you can lay the content on top of those. I love that. Because that's the one thing I always get is, okay, uh, you know, one, how do I teach actual content? We'll get to that, but also time. And I think when you can think about how perennial these skills are that you're doing and how they can cross over to all these different things that you might be teaching later, that's where you can try it. And I'm not trying to, you know, snow, you know, kind of like sugarcoat it that it's super easy. It is time consuming, but a lot of these will pay off later in the kinds of skills that they can apply later. All right, very good. So think to yourself with this. I always like to make sure you have a chance to reflect that this is a project that you might want to use. Um, hopefully on your handout there, there's a place for take a stand that you can write if you have an idea for how you want to use this in your classroom, feel free. Um, but I do want to touch kind of what you were just talking about. Um, well, before I leave that, I also want to point out the other, my other favorite thing about that video, I don't think it came up here, was the kid that says, even though the project's um, over, we're going to keep researching. Because that's the part I feel like when we go back to why this matters to me and I want to be that teacher that matters, that's when I know I created a kid who loves to learn. And at the end of the day, whether they remember the content that I'm teaching exactly, if they learn to love to learn, then I feel like I've really done something that is going to last forever. Um, so thinking about time, for my uh, elementary folks who raised your hand, I just want to point out some things that you're thinking about all the time. So let's think about literacy, comprehension strategies. These are things that you're focused on all the time, whether it's in guided reading or whatever. Compare and contrast, cause and effect, making connections, all these sorts of things. So I asked, which of these could you do with a project like we just saw? All of them, right? So again, when we're looking for time, you know, again, no silver bullet, but thinking about, you know, let's not think we have to teach, you know, making predictions with a text, and then now I have to do this whole project as a separate thing. Let's incorporate making predictions right into, you know, what do we think is going to happen when we do this podcast, or whatever it is. So just thinking about that, I won't go into these too much, these are the common core mathematical practices, and good luck, you, you can't read them, but even if you could, they're pretty much unintelligible, and they're really difficult to <laughs> interpret. Um, but I just point the whole idea that we're supposed to teach math more conceptually, um, teaching them to persevere in solving problems and to um, reason abstractly, all those sorts of things. I don't know how you do this kind of math, sort of deep level math, without a project for some context to really apply that. So just looking at how this fits in with 
those content area pieces that we're so focused on with math and ELA, but also in the world that we live in, kind of, I want to say post-pandemic, I hope we're kind of there. Um, but I do think there is this craving for authenticity now in a way that maybe hasn't been there before. This is the time for project-based learning. And there's a quote that an administrator said, it just sort of stood out to me. The pandemic has made me realize that unless we find ways to focus on students as people and engage them as people and make the work we're doing important to them where they are now, everything is for nothing. We have to start with them as people. So just a very human statement, but I just feel like the pandemic has been very humanizing and there's this, it's the time to really do things with our students that help them feel, take back some power, help them feel like they can have a role in making our world a better place. And that's what these projects are all about. So I submit that project-based learning can be a really great vehicle for accelerating learning, as we're all talking about the gaps you know, that have come about because we lost so much instructional time. And so I do think it can be that, because it is authentic. You can put all these different content areas in it. You can build skills that have lots of application. It's equitable because you're actually doing something in your community that's meaningful to you. So I think that's all great for um, filling that gap. But this is also true. If a child can do advanced math, speak three languages, or receive top grades, but can't manage their emotions, practice conflict resolution, or handle stress, none of that other stuff is really going to matter. So incorporating social-emotional learning into there as well, I think is a really strong formula for how we bridge this kind of space that we're in um, through all the disruptions that we've had from COVID. So I, that's why I take it a step further and say our projects not just have an authentic you know, experience, but they're actually helping the kids engage them in making the world a better place somehow. And as soon as you do that, you are incorporating social-emotional learning because they have some relevance. They are learning to um, have empathy. They're learning to be self-regulators, to self-manage, all those sorts of things. So that's just kind of my spiel for, you know, convincing you that it's worth taking some time, some effort to really think about how to employ this in your classroom because it can accelerate learning now but also build this foundation for what we really always wanted teaching and learning to look like. All right, so now some examples. Let's give you a couple of examples. Um, all of the, the call them blue apple projects, because they're for teachers who want to stand out, not just red apples, but blue apples. <laughs> and um, so they follow this sort of framework where you're going to have the students start with why. Why is this important to you? Why do you care about this? Why is it relevant? Then you're going to think it through. What do you need to learn in order to do this? Um, then you're going to do it, whatever it is. You're going to make a podcast, you're going to create a recipe book, whatever it is. You, you work it out. Then there's that iterative step where you fix it up and get some feedback, make it better, and then you share your awesome, hopefully with as authentic an audience as you possibly can. And I think it's, it's great to get your own head around it that way. Sometimes I hate it because it feels very linear, and it's not always that way. Sometimes when you're going to fix it up, you need to go back and think it through, and all you know, you can go back and forth through this process. But at a macro level, that's a process. And then in the end, when I show you kind of a framework, we'll go through that again. But then you build in your cross-curricular content, your collaboration options, your verbal connections. And that's kind of what builds out a project. All right, so the first one we'll look at is called Food for Thought. And this is that path that I just talked about. And you can see we just assign or allocate lessons along that path. So in this case, we only needed one lesson, we think, to kind of really drive home the importance of why we're going to do this. And then we need maybe three lessons to think it through before they get into the project, et cetera. So I'll take you through each one. And we always like to start with, if you've done the Buck Institute or PDL Works training, they call it an entry event. Um, and this is the idea, you want to get your students excited about the project and introduce them to it in a fun way. And sometimes that can feel really pressure-filled, like trying to come up with something really exciting for them. But it, I like to use this example because it doesn't have to be that. It can be a very simple game, like the one that we're going to play called Your Heart or Mine. And in this case, did everybody get a shape card? So this is the time where you kind of evaluate your choices in life. <laughs> so you have your shape card. This is exactly how I do it with students. I have them um, give them a shape, and they can do sort of some fun, creative, critical thinking games with this to drive them to decide what you think the shape could possibly represent, blah, blah, blah. But at the end, I tell them what they do represent, and that's what we'll do. So who here has a red triangle? Okay, quite a number. You, my friends, I'm sorry to tell you, you represent the one in four Americans who will die of heart disease. Did I mention it was kind of a morbid game? <laughs> Americans will develop high cholesterol. How about uh, yellow diamonds? 
few of those. One in 10 will develop diabetes. Purple pentagons, a few of those. One in 20 will die of stroke. How about green squares? Okay, good. You guys, first. So the one in 12 will be safe. <laughs> All right, so as I mentioned, it's a bit of a morbid game. But in the same way, you guys just went, oh my gosh. You know, when you see half of class of coordinators die of heart disease, and they have the same reaction, they're immediately vested with something that was a very simple, again, game that's probably a stretch of a word. Um, but it's a way for them to see all of a sudden, oh, wow, look at my class. This is what happened to my class. This is, you know, the idea that my nutritional choices impact my mortality and that of my loved ones, my friends and family. So just a very simple game to introduce the concept of why nutrition is important and something we should think about. So lesson two, we have them bring in food um, from home, and they sort it on what we call a healthy track, so just healthy and not healthy. Then they learn a little bit about you know, what makes food healthy or not healthy, and they can change where they place it on the track. In lesson three, we bring in a discussion about GMOs, in this case, to talk about pros and cons of GMOs. And I like to point this out because it's a really, I think, kind of a creative approach for a real-world expert. If you are familiar with bringing in experts, that's awesome. A lot of times, if you're like me, when I first started this, I'd just be like, I don't know what to do. Just talk about whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> talk about you know, what you do. Talk about why you entered this profession. Um, but I started giving that a little bit more purpose. So in this case, we had the kids read an article. Um, we had an article about the pros and cons of GMOs. We had the kids read it, and we had this toxicologist read the same article. So this is a video of the toxicologist talking about her impressions of that article. And so the kids feel like real big shots because they're reading the same thing that this professional is reading. And maybe they even had some of the same insights. So just kind of a, a more purposeful way to bring in a real-world expert. Anytime I can bring in literature, I do it. Even with high school students, I love doing picture books with high school students. Um, so that's lesson three. In lesson four, they start uh, learning how to read nutrition labels. So they think about because that's going to be their primary source for figuring out whether their food is healthy or not. So they learn that. And then they kind of go into that work it out stage where they talk about what are we going to do as a class, and you kind of set this up for the beginning, where they are going to create a cookbook that they can give to their community, and so they're each, you know, each group is going to come up with recipes that are hopefully healthy and tasty. So we talk about, you know, what does the recipe look like? What are the you know, characteristics of that? What are the features you need to have? And then they have a chance to try it out, to chef it up. And this is kind of an example, if you're, this sounds familiar from your card sorting activities, this is an example of a project within a project-based learning unit. So here they're gonna create chef hats, so before they try out their creations. But again, it's not that a project is bad, just something to build some rapport, have some fun in the context of this larger PBL unit. So they have a chance to try it out, and then we go through that iterative fix it up stage, and we have a top chef competition. We've done this a few different ways. We've brought in a nutritionist to actually evaluate the different um, recipes that they've done. We also kind of use a formative assessment where we give the kids six stars, three of one color and three of another. And one color represents nutrition and one color represents taste. And so they allocate those stars to the different, you know, their friends, their peers' recipes. And then, you know, each group can kind of use that as a formative assessment. I got a lot of gold stars, but not a lot of green stars. Maybe this tastes good, but it's not very healthy or vice versa. Sometimes when you try to fix the healthy part, you make it tastier, but that's the balance. Anyway, <laughs> so, and then they have their family and friends feast day. And different teachers have decided to do this different ways. Some of them have created a physical cookbook where they just compile all these, and then they give them away to the family and friends of the feast day. Or some of them have sold them, and they donate the proceeds to Healthy Kids USA. Both of those options are also available online. They put them online and give them away, put them online and sold them. So lots of different ways to finally do that. But it's a nice sort of entry project to get the students feeling like they're doing something that is meaningful. So after the time question, I think I mentioned this, a big question I always get is, all right, that sounds like my kids have had fun with that, but I have so much content to teach. How do I teach the actual content? So what I want to submit to you is if there's one thing that you take away if you're trying to do project-based learning, it's rather than think, I have to teach X, how can I make it interesting? flip that and say, what can I do that my kids are going to find interesting, and then how can I connect X to it? So, for example, if I'm thinking, I need to teach decimals. How in the world am I going to make decimals interesting? That just sounds really daunting. But if I think about the video that we watched earlier, and they're creating a podcast, and they have a time code with that podcast, how many decimals are in there that you could work with? So if you just flip it and get a little creative, you can usually attach whatever content you need to teach to an authentic unit. So for food for thought, think about here's an example of some things you could teach. And we purposefully, like with each of these projects, we correlate them to, we give you know, an idea for four or five different standards for each content area. 
um, for K through eight. But we don't like give all the lessons for it, because the point is you can teach whatever you want to. Where are you in your scope of sequence? The idea is to apply this as a context for whatever it is you're already doing. So English language arts, thinking about writing a recipe. A recipe is essentially a non-fiction text. So thinking about non-fiction text features, explanatory text, um, math. There's tons that you can do with fractions, as you have recipes. Science, you can think about what's happening in my brain as I am processing the smell and the taste and the sight of these foods. Social studies, by bringing that GMO lesson, we talk about the role of uh, science and technology. And I'd like to, as I mentioned, include social-emotional learning as actual content areas in here. So if you think about you're going to do this with your pro this project with your students, they're going to need some self-awareness. Someone's got to pick up and clean up after all these blenders full of smoothies, right? And so self-management. So you have these little mini-lessons built in that are preparing you to do the project, but are also building these lifelong social-emotional learning skills. If you didn't believe me that you can connect any content, here's some more. <laughs> so just this, I've used fourth grade standards here, but this is just a smattering of some of the fourth grade um, additional standards that you could teach off of this project. And you decide how much you want to incorporate in or not. You might start with just a few, but then you realize, wait, I can incorporate more and more and more. And that's when you get more curricular bang for your buck in terms of time. Because the more standards you can apply to one project, the more it can take you further. All right, so I'm going to give you about 30 seconds, not too long. Talk to your partners. Is this a project that you could use, or what content could you teach? I've given you some examples of different content, but maybe there's something that you need to teach. How could you apply it to this project? So I'll give you about 30 seconds to chat. <laughs>
information to a story, and then eventually in, I believe, May, we presented those stories, not to just our senior but all of them. It felt really good for me because I got to, you know, hang out with people that I wouldn't usually hang out with. So for you guys, though, what I saw was a little apprehension at first because we weren't sure what to expect. Yeah. But when the seniors came, they were so excited to meet you guys, and I think that excitement brought up their excitement. Each one of these projects has an overview card with all the lesson descriptions about like, what I'm saying up here. So if you are interested in this project in particular, that's up here, but all 10 projects are up here if you want to grab that. Because I'm going to speed through these um, lesson by lesson because you don't have time, because I always don't have time. But I do want to talk about this. Again, getting creative about what kind of content you can connect to it. So we talked, heard the guy talk about, the kid talk about um, chronological order. But we've also done where you create the biography around a theme. So if you have to teach theme, just think about what that's like to think about what the theme of this person's life is. Is it love of family or overcoming obstacles? A really powerful way to find the theme of a person's life. Here's another one I'd like to point out, science. And not that you have to teach every content area with every project. We just like to challenge ourselves to see how much more we can fit in. But we thought, how do we teach science with this project? And then we talked about partnering with students with a senior citizen who had the same birth month. So even though they were born 60 years apart, if they were both born in January, then the night sky looked the same when they were each born. So they talked about the patterns of the night sky that way. So just kind of getting a little creative. Um, and again, here's some more. Right? You can usually apply anything. Then we thought about, let's bring the, um, the senior citizens plants. And so then they have to think about what are the needs of plants and animals for them to give instructions for their senior citizen to keep their plants alive. So again, get a little creative and you can connect a lot of content to these projects. All right, last I'm going to give you this framework for making PBL your own. Let me just check my time. I'll do this in three minutes. So it's a four-step process. I'm going to go through it super fast, but obviously if you want more time, talk to me. We love coming out to schools, and usually in a day you can go through this process and everybody leaves with a project. Um, but step one is to find an idea. And there's no shortages of ideas out there on the Internet, but for me, I have about this much attention span. So this is a website where you have about 50 different project ideas. Remember, start with something that's going to interest them. Don't start with your content. And then, so I have a few of these left. Oh. So there's about 50 of these cards. Again, I'm about a two-paragraph attention span. So that's just enough to figure out, is this something that my kids are going to be interested in or not? Or find something anywhere on the web. Um, but get an idea that you think is going to make a difference and interest them. Then you can ask these three questions. How will this idea engage my students emotionally? What are they going to do, big picture? So this is they're going to, 
create a podcast, they're going to create a recipe book, they're going to create a biography, what are they going to do big picture? And then what are they going to learn, also big picture? They're going to learn how to um, debate respectfully. They're going to learn to appreciate um, senior citizen in that generation. So not content yet, but just big picture, how are you going to engage your students emotionally, cognitively, and physically, right? Then you go to this, and there's a link to this graphic organizer in your handout. And so these are those three questions I just talked about. But then you move on to real-world connections. And I think of those kind of like a two-sided coin. On one hand, there is how can I bring the world to my students? So what experts do I know in our community that could come in to talk to my students? So, you know, I know the nutritionist, Nancy Rodriguez. Maybe she would come in my class. Or maybe the director of the Kids Food Basket. This is just brainstorming phase, right? Thinking about who I can bring in. And then the flip side of that is how can I have an authentic audience? How can I bring my students to the world? So maybe a local doctor's office would share this cookbook and put it in their lobby. Or maybe our local bookstore would let us put it out in the window. Thinking about places that you could put this product for an authentic audience. And then you start thinking about your content standards and skills. Now you have a project idea. You know how it's going to engage them emotionally, physically, cognitively. You know how you're going to connect to the real world. Now, what standards do I want to connect here? What math, BLA, science, social studies, or secondary, which, how many science standards, how many social studies standards do I want to bring in? What SEL? And then collaboration options. Think about how can I get my students to collaborate, making meaning within my class, but also maybe within another partner classroom that's doing the same project in the same school, or maybe across the country. We do this a lot. If you're doing a project and you want to collaborate with someone across the country doing the same project, we can connect you with somebody. And then you do the flip side of that graphic organizer is what you're more familiar with. You're bringing that lesson to that project to life with lesson plans. So you think about how many lessons do I need to you know, establish the start of why? How many lessons do I need to think it through? What do I need to actually teach in each of those lessons to build it out? So I went through that super fast. Like I said, we usually spend a day to go through that process when you end with a project. But I want to at least give you the framework for, for doing that. Um, but I would leave you with this idea that it definitely is more of a process than a microwave one. Don't feel like you have to go on do all those authentic characteristics um, and full-on projects right away with every content area. Start from where you are and just add in a few more of those authentic learning experiences. And if having an example would help, I know that helps me, that's why I want to give you one of these projects. So the projects, the Blue Apple projects, they have all the lesson plans, they have the real-world connections. As I mentioned, they have content connections. You can teach whatever content you need, but we can just give some ideas of content that you could connect um, for K-8 and collaboration opportunities. So those are the 10 projects. I have all of those listed up here um, as the project overview cards. They're also available free on, through that link on your website, but if you like hard copy, come grab those. Um, and then let me know how I can help, honestly. Like, we're better together, whether it's coming in and getting ideas or helping you incorporate more authenticity into a project you're already doing or coming in and helping, you know, a group of teachers come up with projects in the day. Would love to help. So, there is, and I, that one's kind of cut off, but it's the same one here if you didn't fill it out earlier. So if you send, give me, uh, fill that out, I'll send you a code to get your free project. And then come, feel free to take whatever goodies you want to up here. All right? That's it. Thank you very much.